We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast. It's Wednesday, March 8th. Nick Whale here with Alex Barutha. Uh, we are presented by a new sponsor, Smart Bracket. Uh, we'll hear more about Smart Bracket later in the program. Uh, we're glad to welcome them on as a sponsor of the podcast, of course, with the NCAA tournament coming up. Uh, Alex, we have a lot to get to. We, we're going to do pods each of the next three days. We got Dan Titus from Yahoo joining me tomorrow. You'll have Kenneth Shannon on Friday. Uh, but but a lot to parse through in the NBA, uh, and I, I want to start with John Morant. I mean, we are we're certainly not first to the story by any means. Uh, so I, I don't think we need to really go into a lot of the basics. If you're listening to this podcast, you know what's going on with John Morant at this point. But I, I do want to attack it from a fantasy angle. You know, right now we're basically at the point in the season where we have about a month left. Uh, you know, maybe even less than that if you don't really consider the final week of the season something that you play out. Uh, in your fantasy league, but basically three or four weeks left in the year. John Moran is technically serving a two-game suspension. Uh, I guess he could potentially play tomorrow night. That would be Thursday night. Uh, Memphis is at home against the Golden State Warriors. Doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Uh, you know, The comments from Taylor Jenkins, the comments from reporters around the league, doesn't really seem like anybody expects this to actually be a two-game suspension. So my question to you is, how long does he remain out? Because again, unless the NBA amends that suspension, it'll likely turn into something of a like personal leave after, after tonight. Yeah, I think, well, right just before we started recording, we got some news from Shams who said um, the Glendale, Colorado police closed its investigation into the Grizzly star, John Morant, no charge or crime, not enough evidence. Um, Actually, it's like very good news. That is exactly. I think that's kind of the news that we had to be waiting for. Because like you mentioned, it's it's being treated as more of a leave of absence. And I think part of that was maybe just waiting to see how the police report ended up. And now that this is based, now he's cleared, basically, I would be 
I bet that he'll return sooner than later. You know, I still expect him to serve maybe more games of not service suspension, but be out for more than the two games. But if he's back in a week or a week and a half, that would not be surprising. I, I've been looking at this a little more pessimistically than you have, I guess. And I don't know if that's really the right word. I, I guess you know, we started to get those rumblings earlier this week of like, well, you know, he could be facing a 50 game suspension if there is a, a gun related charge. And I, I do think given this, this latest news that you just mentioned, that's probably off the table, but you know, like I said, this now kind of turns into a personal absence where the Grizzlies don't really have to disclose anything. I, I, I think it'll likely be game to game. Uh, but at the, at the same time, like we, we don't really have a public benchmark or X number of games, you know, that, that needs to be met. So from a fantasy perspective, it's, it's really, really difficult. Uh, you know, in a lot of leagues, you, you can't even put them in an IR spot. So, you know, late in the year, you're, you're burning that roster spot, but I'm with you. Like I, I don't actually have John Morant in any leagues. Unfortunately, if I did, I would have a really hard time dropping him. But, you know, as you know, in the Rotowire stake league, like it's that time of year where you have to start making those really tough calls. I would not be dropping him if I had him in fantasy, which like you, I don't um, kind of weird that neither of us got him, but obviously the guy like him with his, um, like when a guy is that has that much star power, they go way earlier in drafts than they should. Um, although he's having a great year, but uh, regardless, yeah, I mean, it depends. This is, this is the point of the year where fantasy advice gets a lot more, it's like less generalized. Like I dropped LeBron in our 16 team stake league because the goal in that league is basically to finish in the top eight and I'm in ninth. And so I just need points. Like I just, I just need stats. So for mm -hmm. me dropping LeBron when he's out for three weeks for Chris Dunn actually makes sense. I grabbed Austin Reeves as well. That's just going to be good for me. If you're in that kind of a situation, like again, Morant, I, I, I would not drop him, but players in similar situations like Bojan, I mean, I think that's an obvious drop. Yep. You have to evaluate where you are in your league and how much risk you're willing to take. Yeah. At any point this year, Alex, did you think you'd be confidently dropping LeBron James to pick up Chris Dunn? <laughs> I was pretty confident uh, we would never be saying Chris Dunn's name on a podcast this year. So yeah. that's that's where you are in March. March is the new April, apparently, in the NBA. I also didn't think I'd be bidding $10 on Sadiq Bay and be thrilled mm -hmm. to throw him into my lineup. Uh, that's Atlanta Hawks, Sadiq Bay. I also didn't think that I would be benching Tobias Harris for Isaiah Joe, just chasing three-pointers. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been it's been a wild ride. If not for DeLon Wright picking up like five steals a night at this <laughs> point, uh, I would be completely buried in that league. But it's going to be a fun sprint to the finish. I, I will say, I was thinking about picking up LeBron. I saw you dropped him, and you know, obviously I couldn't pick him up coming into this week. But I, I'm, I'm thinking about throwing in a bid because, you know, what if he comes back for the last like five or six games of the year? Like in that right. scenario, obviously you're speaking from a unique perspective of somebody who dropped him. Like how tough of a call was that? Because I, I still think there's a chance that LeBron, even if he plays like the final week of the year, like this league goes all the way through game 82. You know, if, if you have the spot to spare, I, I do think there's a case for kind of trying to vulture. Even You probably can't fit more than one, but just one guy like that who's dropped. You know, like I know Anthony Simons, for example, was dropped in another league and I grabbed him. You will not be the only person putting a bid on LeBron. I'll tell you that much. Um, in that do, do you have inside I, info? I have some inside info. There will be other people putting a bid on LeBron James, which is not surprising. Um, yeah, so like my perspective on this, you know, when he was officially ruled out for three weeks, that was on March 2nd. That means we have an estimated return date. The earliest that we expect him to return is March 24th. And the season ends on what, April 9th? 
Um, I like that. That you're kind of assuming he's going to play every game from there on out. You're assuming that he's going to be playing. I mean, I get, you know, LeBron playing 24 minutes a game is still going to put up like very good fantasy stats. Personally, I was just in a position where I, I needed to fill out a starting group of guys who were going to play and put up fantasy relevant numbers. I need to stream guys in on four game weeks, but for anybody else who's not in my position, or if you have mm-hmm. like, I mean, if you have a, just a terrible bench spot, like if you're, if you have a, a guy you've hung on to for too long. Yeah. Like, of course, like just try to grab LeBron, see what, because you can put him in your IR spot. I just didn't feel like I had the luxury of even putting him in my IR spot. Yeah. That's the big difference between LeBron and someone like Ja, who's technically suspended is you at least can throw him in the IR. Uh, All year we've been tracking teams like Utah and OKC. Uh, Obviously, you know, the, the bottom feeders like Detroit, San Antonio, Houston, they've been in this zone for a while. Uh, but it, it does feel like our, our worst fears might finally be coming true at the wrong time here with both the Thunder and the Jazz. Uh, we're starting to see OKC. I, it's hard to say how, how legit these injuries are because, you know, SGA missed five games in a row. Now he's played two in a row, but he's going to sit out. I believe they played tonight on the second half of a back-to-back. They have another back-to-back coming up Saturday, Sunday. They've already said he's going to sit out one half of that. Um, and, and then with Utah, it's been to me, a little bit murkier, you know, like Jordan Clarkson is missing time with like a finger injury, something that conceivably yeah. you'd think he'd probably be able to play through if he needed to, uh, you know, Walker Kessler came down with a mysterious illness. Colin Sexton is week to week. Mark even missed some time. Uh, how are you handling that in a league like stake where it's weekly lineups and you might think you have somebody on a four game week, but if they only end up playing two, you're really getting burned, especially for teams like you and I, I mean, we are, we're, we're in a pack of like five teams that are vying for essentially two winning spots in this league. Unfortunately, I think it's case by case. Like you talk about Clarkson, Clarkson had a thumb injury on his right hand. And then in his first game back, dislocated his left pinky. And I saw an article that said, if this was a playoff series, he would be playing. Like, there's no question about that, but it's like, well, why, why would we be playing this guy? Like we're putting him in pain. There's, there's no reason for us to do this. So, um, and then the, the SGA situation, Mark Dagnall came out and was like, the only reason he's playing at all is because we're trying to make the playoffs. If this was earlier in the season, SGA wouldn't be playing at all, but we still have to be careful um, with his minutes. So it's actually kind of the opposite of what people think. Um, But yeah, you just have to evaluate case by case. And um, unfortunately, like you said, there's just, for some of these guys, there's just no way to know like the, the thunder of, not disclosed whether or not they're going to rest Shea Gilgis Alexander on one half of the back-to-back this weekend. That's implied because Dagnalt said that they're going to monitor his minutes, but it's not cement. Yeah. I mean, it's a complete nightmare for, for fantasy purposes. And, you know, speaking of OKC, Jalen Williams uh, is also going to miss his second straight game tonight. Uh, both have both halves of a back-to-back. I, I would imagine he's not really in shutdown territory. I mean, like maybe at, at the very last week of the season, if they're, if they're kind of in contention for like the seventh pick versus the eighth pick, you know, maybe, maybe they would just lose one game. Uh, but, but yeah, it, it's a really unique situation. And I mean, with Utah to me, it feels a little more blatant and it, it really started at the trade deadline. Yeah. I mean, they got rid of so much of their depth. The Sexton thing, I think his hamstring injury is legit. And we've talked about so many times on this podcast and so many people have written about it that hamstring injuries are always tricky to come back from. I mean, James Harden practically had like a two year hamstring injury. So I think, I think Sexton is not necessarily sitting out of like pure tanking. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, it's they. I think their their fantasy relevant guys are. We kind of know who they are, so you don't have to. There's not really like an obvious like I picked up Chris Dunn because of Sexton being out, and I think Chris Dunn is still going to get minutes when Sexton comes back because they don't have a backup point guard. So there's moves like that you can make where. Mm-hmm whether or not they go into a full tank and start resting all these guys, you're still, you're still going to get fantasy value out of certain players. Like you were talking about, you have Isaiah Joe, whether or not these thunder guys sit Isaiah Joe should still have value the rest of the season because they seem pretty committed to playing him like 20 to 25 minutes a game. And he's going to launch when he's out there. Well, and part of it this week too is one, they're on a four game week Two, going in. I, I knew that SGA would miss at least one game. And, you know, in my mind, hopefully two, and then, you know, the Jalen Williams injury pops up as well. So you're expecting kind of a boost in workload for at least half of those games. And most importantly, I really need help in the three-pointers category. So it's like, I, I, there were very few options, of course, in a 16-team league uh, on the waiver wire for anybody who's averaging more than like one and a half threes per game. So I, I never feel great when you look at like, he's currently rostered in 2.2% of leagues, and he's probably started in like 0.001% of those. I am happy to be the 0.001% because I think that's the other important thing too, is you kind of need to start determining not, I wouldn't go as far as to say which categories you're punting, but which categories you need to really focus on. Like for me, for example, in this league, I'm way down there in assists. I'm like over a hundred assists below the person ahead of me. Right. So it's like, there's obviously there's nobody on the waiver wire averaging like nine assists per game who I could just grab and catch up. I, I, I it makes no sense for me to target anybody in that category. No, exactly. Like, again, this is the this is the point of the year where you really have to, like, sit down, look at the stand. If you're in a roto league, look at, you know, each category. Can I catch up here? Can I catch up here? Just ignore the roster percentages. So many of these ESPN leagues are just straight up abandoned. They don't play them out. Like, you have to just look who's on. A, again, streaming becomes so important this time of year. If you're someone who's adverse to streaming, you got to try to get over that and just look who's on a four game week that can get me the stats I need. And just try to get that guy in your roster and, and start him. Yeah, I would point you to the schedule grid on Rotowire. Uh, our, our tech team did a really good job putting that together. Uh, it's kind of buried on the site, but if you just go to the the drop down menu on the far right, you can find it pretty easily. And yeah, I mean, obviously most leagues run Monday to Sunday, uh, but you can essentially start your week whatever you want and see the layout of all the games. So I mean, that's the other thing too. Like I I like foolishly went out and grabbed Nas Reed off of waivers this past week and then looked like the minute after I, I oh. he was added to my team, realized that he only had two games. Uh, so obviously I'm not plugging him in. That, that was just a dumb, dumb move. And I should have checked the schedule, but that is ultra, ultra important. The other thing too, it, you know, especially if you're really locked in or you're competing for a league title is like this time of year, not all four game weeks are created equally. Uh, like make sure you check back to backs because there's, there's a good chance someone like SGA, you might have a four game week coming up, but if there's a back to back, all of a sudden it's a three game week. And you know, I, I think we're going to see more and more of that as we get into, uh, or I should say, get closer to, to April 9th. 100%. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Um, all right, let's talk about... Well, I put up a rookies piece on RotoWire. We'll hit on that quickly. We, we do one of these every few weeks. Goes up on Yahoo as well. Uh, we'll be doing one more in a few weeks, and that'll be more of a look ahead to next season. But that's that's kind of what, where I want to go with this. I mean, there's not a ton of action going on in, in the world of rookies. I, I think we only have three rookies in the top 100 right now in, in nine cat total value, maybe four. I'd have to, I'd have to check on Tari Eason. He's like day by day. He's either like 98th or like one Oh five. But I, I believe it's just Walker Kessler, Jalen Williams and Keegan Murray, who are the, the bona fide top 100 guys, which, you know, obviously it, it Paolo Bancaro guys like that are better real life players than they are in fantasy right now. I know we talked last week about where Jalen Williams would go in a redraft in the week sense. I am, I am fully convinced I would take him inside the top three. No question. I, I think I would take him third behind Bad Caro and, and Chet Holmgren because to me, Holmgren is still an incomplete and I, I don't want to punish him for that. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think you are, if you're concerned about anybody, maybe it's like Matherin. I think Ivy still has plenty of juice. Like there's yeah. no reason to think he's like, yeah, but uh, Jalen Williams, again, like this is a guy, he's essentially the third option. And when he's asked to do more, he thrives. And this is for a very competitive team. This is for a 500 team in the West that he's the third option. And he looks really good. And it's not just like, oh, he's putting up a lot of points and, and assists. And he looks like a, a fantastic playmaker. It's he's efficient. He doesn't turn the ball over. And he's a, he's like a monster on defense. Like past 15 games, it's 2.2 steals and half a block. And 17 points, four assists, 1.5 turnovers. It like 
you know, there's just not that many rookies who have come into the NBA averaging these kinds of numbers, two-way numbers. Well, and very efficiently as well. If you just isolate his last, let's see, 11 games, and cherry pick it a little bit here, 20 points, five rebounds, four and a half assists, two and a half steals, 57% from the field, 85% from the line, 50% from three. I mean, the, the season-long numbers aren't that ridiculous, but you know, even for a guy who you know most rookies struggle early on, especially guys who are you know not top 10 picks, 52% from the field on the year. And that's as a 35% three-point shooter. You know, it's not like he's having crazy luck in that regard. I mean, he is, I, I just feel like nobody's talking about him. Like if you talk about OKC, it's all SGA and how great he's been. Like, I, I don't, I don't know if the average NBA fan realizes like how just unbelievably good Jalen Williams has been. And like, he might, like, he, he might be like further developed as a fantasy player than a real life player right now, which is super rare. Yeah. And he's someone too, when he was coming out of the draft, part of what made him appealing was his three-point shooting. And on the year, he's actually 35%, which sounds good. But like in the modern NBA, that's, it's okay. So it's like he he has room to grow as a three-point shooter. Obviously, his feel for the game is fantastic. That was, you know, that was a, another positive for him. But that's the kind of guys OKC loves. They're like, we just get a guy in here who's got a great feel for the game and and tries hard and we'll, we'll figure it out from there. And um, yeah. Taking him third, if he redrafted, I think that's that's appropriate. All right, I, I'm going to apologize here for putting you on the spot, but we, we can make this a discussion. How high do, do some of these rookies go? And let, let's start with Jalen Williams. Like, wh where's like your estimated pick for where he goes in like a, a standard 12 team league next year? Oh, next year? I mean, Jalen Williams, he's 86th right now. And that's with that's with his full season numbers. I mean, that's 13 points, four rebounds, three assists, like a steal and a half. So is that is that per game? Per game. 86 per okay. game, eight cat. So that's I think that's kind of where Scotty Barnes was last year. And Scotty Barnes was going what in the like 40s this year. So yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Jalen Williams was like, yeah, I think people take him in like 40 to 50 range next year. I think that seems about right. I'm trying to look up Scotty Barnes ADP. He was, I mean, it varies from site to site, but yeah, I mean, essentially if you look at CBS and Yahoo in like the 43 to 48 range. So yeah, I, the thing is, you know, they'll have Holmgren coming back. They'll have likely, you know, at least, at least one more rookie who might be an right. impact player. So there, there's going to be some team context, I think to sort out, but yeah, I mean, he's going to be somebody I'm targeting for sure. What about Walker Kessler? Kessler? I mean, there's no reason to think that he won't do exactly what he did this year and probably more, right? Because he's, he's started the past, what is this? 22 games. He, he, didn't, he didn't become a full-time starter until January 10th. Right. And since then he's averaging 11, 11 and three on 70% shooting. Um, again, there's another guy like, you know, I, I think wherever I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but basically whatever, he finishes the season as like, if you take his fantasy value from the day he became a full-time starter till the end of this season, I think wherever he shakes out per game value, that's probably where he'll be drafted around next year, where he should be drafted. I think that's right. I, I don't think there's a lot of confusion as far as, you know, like some sort of sophomore slump with a big man who like just kind of dunks rebounds and block shots. Like it doesn't really feel like anything is too volatile there. I think in terms of team context, like, you know, maybe, maybe the jazz have a little bit more around him, but again, he's not the type of player who you worry about like opportunity or usage rate or things like that. I think you could kind of plug him into just about any team and he's going to be really good. I mean, is he a top 40 guy? 
think he's it's a consideration, right? I mean, he's he's a, he's a better fantasy player than Rudy Gobert this year. Uh, yeah, he might be. I mean, because those big like getting those consistent big man stats that's really valuable, and especially if you're I mean if you're punting free throws, he becomes even more valuable. You know, like if you draft him, like if you draft Giannis with your first pick, your free throw percentage is screwed anyway. It's like, well, the Kessler becomes more valuable because your his bad free throw shooting doesn't even matter. So there are certain team builds where he's going to be more valuable. But yeah, I mean, if he gets drafted 40th and in, in some league, I would not be surprising because you you also have to assume development on top of the expanded role he's gotten lately. He's played three fewer games and like 900 fewer minutes than Evan Mobley, and he has 50 more blocks. Yeah, his um, he's just he's he's a monster, man. I mean, this is this is kind of what I mean. We knew this, right? Like we knew he would be a shot blocker. It's just I think the question was going to be, is the rest of the feel for the game there? Like, is he going to actually be a legitimate NBA player? Is he going to get exposed um, by NBA athleticism? Is he, you know, is he going to be able to thrive offensively? But the reality is if you're as big as Kessler is with <laughs> decent hands, you're just, you can just average 11 and 11 mm-hmm. with two or three blocks in the NBA, assuming you have decent instincts. All right. Last one. What, what about bad Caro? Because it, it feels like he has absolutely delivered on being the number one pick passes the eye test. The counting stats are there in, in points leagues. You know, he's a complete monster, but He's also shooting like 15% from three over the last month. He's down to 27% on the year. That's killing his field goal percentage as well. The free throw percentage has not been great, uh, especially for a guy who takes almost eight per game. You know, he was already going around pick 70 before we'd ever seen him play in an NBA game. Do you see there being some like artificial inflation where there's kind of maybe a disconnect between how good he's looked versus how valuable he's been? It's tough because it's just, it's a lot of percentages. I mean, I think like you mentioned it's since February 1st, he's 39% from the field, 12% from three. He's getting to the free throw line 6.7 times, but it's 69%. So he's not helping you there at all. Um, He's actually probably hurting you at that rate. I think it's tough because he, there are a lot of games. Like when I watch Orlando, it doesn't always feel like he he doesn't stand out as much as I would think. Like a lot of times when he stands out, it's because I he has the ball and he's like trying to do his own thing. He's trying to break mm-hmm. someone off the dribble. He's going ISO. That's when I know it's Paolo Bancaro. It's not so much that like, wow, he's playing like amazing through the flow of the offense. Um, you know, I almost like notice Franz Wagner more than him. So it's tough. He's, he's obviously playing amazing. I just, if the percentages increase, and he makes good skill development, like natural development. He's going to he's going to be awesome next year, but it's 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 hard to really gauge how much higher to draft somebody when their entire crux of their fantasy value is just like this guy just needs better efficiency. I feel like I'm going to end up with zero Bancaro shares next year because I, I think there's going to be a ton of people that want him on their team, and it's going to be kind of a light version of what's going on with Zion the last few years, minus the injury concerns. Yeah, it might be it might be a little bit of a tough sell in in roto leagues. I mean, he's a, he's already a points league monster. That's not really an issue. Um, but yeah, it's I mean it's a little like Scotty Barnes too. Like I think feel like Scotty Barnes is becoming like the new um, sort of staple for like well look at this guy because you know he he can't really shoot threes and the free throws are bad and you kind of expect this development and it just it doesn't 
his stats don't increase as much as you thought because his role in the offense. Now Orlando is different because Paolo is basically the number one option. I don't think that's really going to change. It's kind of like him and Wagner. So you don't have to worry about that as much as like Scotty Barnes, who may have kind of just been locked into being a third or fourth option. And I think people to some extent overestimated what, what his role was going to be. All right. I want to take a moment to talk about smart bracket, the presenting sponsor of the road wire podcast. Uh, We're excited to thank our sponsor supported intelligence for their generous support with smart bracket, their innovative decision-making tool. You can gain an edge in your bracket predictions for the tournament this season. It's available on the app store, Google play, and on the web. You can find out more at smartbracket.io. supported intelligence has developed advanced technology to help make help people, excuse me, make better decisions. Their rapid recursive methodology allows you to solve even the most complex decision problems, whether in your personal or professional life. Supported intelligence can help you tackle business decisions just as it can work to improve your bracket. Supported intelligence has been leading the way in the development of cutting edge technology. And with their custom solutions, you can address your unique decision problems and improve business outcomes with their proprietary AI technology platform. Don't wait. Check out smartbracket.io today to take your bracket to the next level and make sure to use our coupon code podcast. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T podcast to save today. All right. Uh, let's take a look at the sports book. Alex, it's been a while since we've uh, done a little tour of the futures market, partially because rookie of the year feels like it's been sewn up since the second week of the season. Ben Carroll still minus 5,000 to win that award. Uh, although I, I don't really think the gap between Bancaro and Jalen Williams should be as big as it is, uh, but, but Bancaro is going to win it, barring something just crazy over the next month. MVP, Jokic continues to pull away, minus 450 right now at DraftKings. Joel Embiid, 5-1, to one, Giannis plus 650. I, do, do you feel, we won't go too deep on MVP because everybody's talking about that all the time. You know where I stand on this. I don't think there should be that big of a gap, but do, do you think the odds are correct here? Like if, if we had another straw poll come out or the vote was taken today, would it be as much of a landslide in favor of Jokic as the odds imply? I think the question has to be, has anything really changed since the last time that straw poll was taken? And I think the only thing that's really changed has been the Bucks went on a just like they were a buzzsaw, right? So if anything, I would actually maybe say Giannis and Embiid should be flipped in the odds. I think it should be Jokic first, then Giannis, then Embiid. But if we're just talking about the gap between Jokic and number two, I think minus 350, wherever you're looking, I think that's fine. I mean, Jokic, he just continues to look dominant. Like you just take any stretch of games that he's on and you're like, this is insane. And the on off court numbers continue to be what they are. Like, I know people, I got into a, a discussion with some of my friends about like, you know, Oh, they always play Jokic with the starters. So his on off numbers are inflated. You can just take Jokic on the court and pull off Murray and Michael Porter jr. Or Murray and Aaron Gordon. And the numbers are still like plus 10. Um, he's like, a one man offense. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah, I, I think the other feather in his cap is that the Nuggets are the number one seed in the West by seven and a half games. You know, I, I, like <laughs> right. pe- people who want to draw this parallel to the Russell Westbrook MVP year, the big if you remember back to that, you know, not only was stat padding an accusation uh, against Westbrook, but the other the other thing that really worked against him for those who didn't vote for him was I think they finished like sixth in the West. 
And at the time that was crazy. You know, it was like every MVP is always like a top two or three seed. Uh, you know, I, I think some voters really had to think hard about making an exception for Westbrook. So I, I think when you compare those two, you have to be clear that Jokic is the engine of a team running away with the number one seed in the West. And I, I think that's part of the reason that the, the gap has not narrowed at the sports book. But to me, I, I do think the narrative has changed, right? There's almost like, there's almost like this anger directed at Jokic. Yeah. It's, it's not, and it's funny because Jokic is, he's the complete antithesis of the, you know, a lot of the MVPs in this league. Like when he's asked about it, he's like, I truly don't care. And I believe him. I don't think he cares. Uh, so it's not like he's bringing this upon himself, but um, you know, I, I think it was the last straw poll that Tim Bontemps from ESPN put out. Like once that came out, I, I feel like that's what restarted this whole, I wouldn't even say anti Jokic narrative, but more so like just, just kind of questioning the, the entire thing. And, you know, the, the Nick Wrights of, of the world and the Kendrick Perkins of the world, you know, that's when that whole machine starts up. So I, I don't think anything's changed really on the court. You know, Jokic continues to dominate. So does Giannis. So does Embiid. But I, I, I do sense a, a questioning of the narrative and kind of a, almost like a pressuring of the voters to, to like really think about this. Yes. I think people like when you're in the media and you actually have a vote for this sort of a thing. Now that the votes are public, I think people don't want to vote for someone. It's tough. I think it's a double-edged sword making these votes public because you are under pressure to sort of like, quote unquote, do the right thing. Vote, you know, like vote for uh, who definitively is the best MVP. And so there's like, there's more group think involved. And it's like, do we, we, the collective voters who are all being held accountable individually want to anoint Jokic into this rare company of three guys? Will we look back on this in 10 years and think, what were we thinking? We're stupid. It was clearly Giannis. It was clearly Embiid. Um, and I just think, I just think that's a little short-sighted. Um, I don't think you would look back in 10 years at this MVP race and be like, wow, I cannot believe we didn't give it to Giannis that year. Like you like the numbers Jokic is putting up, are just, they're just right. ridiculous. And I, I think people are only questioning this because he hasn't been to the NBA finals and he hasn't quote unquote proven it. And yes, he's the worst defender of anybody in this discussion, but he's uh, one of the best passers of all time. And the most, he's the most efficient player of anybody in this group. And um, that's, that's kind of what I feel like it's coming down to. I think the group think point is, is well taken. I think there's a, almost a fear of being wrong. I think that's what you were alluding to. Uh, you, you don't want to be the, the one outlier, you know, who, when everybody else is voting one way, you're, you're voting the other. Uh, I also don't love the, this like revisionism that we're now doing every year where we, we vote for the MVP, the MVP is announced, the finals are over. And then we look back and say, well, do we get it right or not? It's like, it, it's a regular season award. You know, I, I don't really have a dog in this fight. I don't really care who wins MVP. I'm here in Milwaukee. It'd be cool if Giannis won it. I get that. Uh, I don't really care if Jokic wins it because it's a it's a regular season isolated MVP. I, I think everybody who brings in this historical precedent argument, I I don't love that because it doesn't matter what happened in 1987. It matters only what happened in the confines of Game One to Game 82 in the 2022-23 season. So I, I I think it's kind of dangerous to to do the look back. Did we get it right argument after every finals because we're always going to look back and say that it probably should have gone to somebody on the team that wins the finals. Yes. And so much of this too is 
we're almost like all of these guys' numbers are ridiculous. You want to compare Jokic's yeah. numbers to Embiid's numbers to Giannis's numbers. You even want to throw Tatum and Luka in there, right? All these guys' numbers are ridiculous. And I love I love stats as much as like and analytics as much as everybody else does these days. Ironically, I think some of this comes down to like you should really just sit down and watch like a couple hours of Jokic and Embiid and Giannis and just kind of be like, who do I really feel like is impacting the game? Who is the most valuable player out of these guys? I'm going to not even look at the box score of these games. I'm just going to watch and um, just decide because I think that's the most pure way to do it when all of these guys' stats are so ridiculous. If I did that and just voted on like vibes, I feel like I would vote Malik Monk. For the MVP, so that, that that could be a little dangerous. Uh, also, wild that Luka Doncic is averaging thirty three points, nine rebounds, eight assists, three threes per game, one and a half steals, fifty percent from the field, and he's like not really in the discussion at this point. Like he's twenty five to one to win the MVP. Last thing I'll say on this: did not want to, I did not plan on, I should say, going on this tangent. But my stance all along on this is, there, I, I don't like what people say. Jokic shouldn't be allowed to win it. I think that's insane. Everybody should be allowed to win it. I, I, again, doesn't matter what you did in the past. Um, I, I also think there are a lot of people that are saying like, all right, he could win it, but he better win the finals this year or else it's like, or what we're going to, we're going to strip it from him. Like just remove the MVP and hand it to Giannis. Um, my, my, my argument here is that Jokic should be the favorite. He should not be this heavy of a favorite because like you said, there is a, there's a real case for all three of those guys. You know, Embiid had a great game against Jokic not that long ago. Any night you, you tune in and watch the bucks, Giannis looks like the best player in the world. I think this should be a three horse neck and neck race. I, I, I don't think Nikola Jokic should be the heavy, heavy favorite. He should not be minus 450 with Giannis at almost seven to one. Like, I, I think it's closer than that. I think that's fine. And so, like, if you're talking about, if we're actually talking about the betting market, then I assume you think Giannis at plus 900 is the best value on the board. I think it is. I, I, it's just the question is how reflective is this of the actual voting base? That, that I don't know. I'm not sure either. I mean, it really is neck and neck between Milwaukee and Denver. Maybe it just, maybe at the end of the day, it will come down to that. Whatever team finishes yeah. with the, with the higher seed or, I mean, Denver is going to finish with a relatively better record than the second place team in the West compared to what the Bucks are going to do to Boston and Philly. But you can also make the argument, well, the East is harder. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe, it, maybe it, it just does come down to that, that people won't be able to decide and yeah, whoever has the better record, it just goes there. All right, let's go to most improved player. This one's a little more interesting, and and Markkanen has pulled away over the last couple of weeks. He's at minus two eighty five now, uh, which is really interesting because I mean, for essentially three quarters of the season, it looked like this was just going to be SGA's award, and nobody else was going to be close. Now he's at four to one. I actually, I think there's some sneaky value there. I think there's going to be a lot of people that still vote for SGA. Halliburton at sixty to one. I think he was too good last year. I just, I don't know if he really qualifies. Yeah. Um, and then Jalen Brunson's the other contender at plus 320. I, I think there's a really strong case for all three of those guys. I, I don't, I don't really don't know where I would lean. I, I will, I will say marketing and SGA would be my two finalists. I love Jalen Brunson. He too was really good last year. And I think SGA has gone up another level than Brunson has even. And that's saying a lot because Brunson's been amazing. Um, but I also think marketing is the more traditional winner of this award. I mean, nobody had Laurie Markin in anywhere near an all-star team coming into the year. Right. And I think that's why he's minus 250 now. Um, you know, we talk about historically speaking, at least in the modern, the my, in modern 
most improved player of the year history. These awards usually go to guys who basically go from semi-role players or low-end starters to basically like all-stars, like the Victor Oladipos of the world, right? Pascal Siakam, Giannis, those types of situations. Um, that I think in some ways that's both SGA and Markkanen. Markkanen went from somebody that people had just written off, just straight up like written off, like this guy's done to being an all-star and a very deserving all-star. He's having an amazing season. So his season is more out of nowhere. Obviously the season, the actual peak of his season is not as good as SGA's. SGA looks like a legit star in the NBA, but there were plenty of people who are like, no, SGA, that's what he projects as. He projects as a close to a star or a star in the NBA. Like that's how good he is. So it was more expected. That's what makes it really tough. Um, I actually kind of prefer the coming out of nowhere story for marketing at, I just don't necessarily love the odds at minus two fifty. Yeah. It's interesting because we've, we've seen kind of different varieties over the past few years where there, there have been some years where somebody goes from really some very good player to like really, really good player. I think like Paul George, when he won it, that's a pretty good example. Um, you know, even Julius Randall was, was like pretty good. He was better than marketing was coming into this year and just had this out of nowhere career season, I think John Morant uh, is in that category as well, but then you've had like the Pascal Siakam, you know, the leap he made, I think was more, more similar to what we've seen from marketing. And it's not like people had given up on Siakam. He was just, he was just, you know, kind of a young player at the time and nobody knew he had that level of upside. Um, you know, we saw a similar thing with, with the honest when he won it, obviously, you know, we know about his ascension. Uh, so there's, there's precedent really for both cases. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think I would prefer the marketing path. I mean, he was going, outside the top 90 in fantasy drafts. Not that that matters for this at all, but I think that gives you a, a pretty good perspective of, of just the, the general vibe on him. And, you know, even if you took him with pick like 97, you weren't feeling good about it. No, and I'm someone who is relatively high on marketing in general. Like I have him I in our keeper league, like four years ago, I signed them to this like extended contract coming off that like one great year he had with Chicago. I'm like, this guy's legit. He's the next Dirk. And then it just became bad. And um, I never really gave up on him, but I can't, I don't think I have him in any leagues. Like I can't say I was drafting him. I was trying to get him at value, quote unquote, and I just missed out every time. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I think he deserves the win at this point, but I, of course I wouldn't be mad if SGA won. I mean, they're, I wish they could split it. That's what feels right to me. If SGA doesn't win, I think you should go on like a, a huge diatribe on Twitter about how it's all rigged. I'm sure I would get a disturbing <laughs> level of engagement and probably the most engagement I've ever gotten on Twitter if I just like really violently yeah. uh, defending SGA, even if I don't really believe it, which is uh, I think what a lot of people do on Twitter anyway. Yeah, everybody's talking about the MVP race, but the real crime is the most improved player race. Uh, I want to talk about six man. Emmanuel quickly was plus 50,000. If I'm reading this correctly to win this award yeah. at Christmas, he is now the favorite at minus 165. <laughs> it is, it's looking like it's a two man race between quickly and Malcolm Brogdon. I, I don't think quickly has it locked up by any means. I, I think, you know, he had a huge week with, with Jalen Brunson missing some time, had that massive game in the double overtime win over Boston. I, I think that really gave him a boost. Brogdon to me has been the more, the more steady option. I think he, you know, we, we called this one, you know, like before game one of the season that he's just way overqualified for this role. And if he stays healthy, he'll have a good chance to win it. But I don't know, like quickly to me, feels like the more fun guy to vote for. Like if I had a vote, 
I, I feel like I would want Emmanuel quickly to win it. Like he's, he's more like the spirit of this like spark plug guy off the bench. I think so. Yeah. But, um, our Emmanuel quickly's on off numbers inflated because RJ Barrett's so bad. I think that's the question. That's, we a, good, have to that's ask. a good question. Yeah. Um, some of the voters are gonna have to think about. Yeah. Uh, I don't know whether I would say he's like the deserving favorite. I, I do think it's between quickly and Brogdon. Norman Powell was the other guy I did like identify before the season, but that's just that he's not, it's just not his award right now. You know what I mean? Like no, he's no, just, no. he hasn't been that, uh, he hasn't been that guy. Um, quickly has the argument that he's a, he's a fantastic two-way player, right? Like he's, he's coming off the bench and being this like two-way spark plug. He's defending the other team's guards. He's shutting them down. Brogdon comes in and he just, you know, he tries to, you know, he just tries to score 20 points when he's in and that's fine. Um, I think you also have to consider that Brogdon is hurt all the time, constantly gets hurt. He's been actually relatively healthy this year, but I would still be worried about that if I was betting him, which is of course something we all knew at the beginning of the year. Um, I'm not sure I would necessarily say either of these odds are great, but I think I, I think I would actually bet quickly over Brogdon at these two numbers. Yeah. I, yeah, I would bet it now. I, I think, you know, if Emmanuel quickly has like one more big game, especially if it's at home, people are going to go crazy hammering that uh, it's likely going to be neck and neck the rest of the way. Who would be the least improved player if they handed out that award? <laughs> Jalen, Jalen green. Least improved. Is this a player who just is, they don't actually get worse. They just, they are, they are so much the same, like the most plateaued player. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, in the eye of the beholder. Um, a lot I of really have no idea. This is this is <laughs> caught me so off guard with this one. Uh, I, I kind of like this idea. Of, like there should be a there should be like an equal and opposite to each award. The least valuable player, the worst coach of the year, the worst defensive player of the year, worst rookie. Yeah, um, yeah I mean least least valuable. Oh, that would go to Westbrook. There's no question. Westbrook will win least valuable player of the year. Right. Award. It can't because it can't you, be like Udonis Haslam. There has to be no, like no. a minutes threshold. Exactly. Exactly. You have to have played enough to truly impacted enough basketball that people are like, Jesus, man. <laughs> he would finish his career with like one MVP, four LVP. <laughs> uh, okay. I want to I talk coach of the year quickly. It's it's Mike Brown's to lose, man. We, we were on this yeah. a couple weeks ago. Uh, we, we said if the Sacramento Kings finish as a top three team in the Western Conference, and at this point, I might be willing to amend that and even say if they finish as a top four team in the West, he's going to win it. They are currently the two seed. They have the tie break over Memphis right now. Uh, obviously, like we said at the top, we don't know when John Morant's going to be back in action for Memphis. That helps the Kings. They do have a pretty tough stretch coming up. They play the Knicks, the Suns, and the Bucks uh, in their next three games. We'll see how they come out of that. Uh, but they have two games against the Jazz remaining. They play the Trailblazers twice. They also get the Spurs. Uh, overall, I, I would say it's a slightly above average schedule in terms of difficulty going forward, but it's not a total minefield. Like I, I think this is, barring a, a just terrible final month of the season mike brown's winning this award i'm with you yeah i mean the, i think injuries are really the only thing that would stop the kings at this point i think they are who they are amazing offense bad defense they're winning games i and the thing is like they didn't have enough like they had some good offseason moves right like drafting keegan murray that was that was nice they got kevin Herter. that was nice um but the sabonis move was last year you know at the, in the middle of the year and i think um you know, like if you're talking to other candidates down the list, I feel like Missoula's getting some hate now. Uh, Missoula 
or Joe timeout Missoula. Um, Malone, that feels like it's too much of Jokic, right? Bugenholzer feels too much like Giannis. Thibodeau's a little interesting if the Knicks can keep rattling off wins yeah. here. I don't like Bickerstaff because of the Donovan Mitchell trade was so big that I feel like that's just more about yep. Mitchell. And I, I do think we should give more love to Mark Dagnalt and Will Hardy for what they've done in OKC in Utah, but I'm not sure that's enough for them to win coach of the year. Will Hardy had a case. I feel like the franchise like prevented him from winning it like, early on. <laughs> yes. I think he was kind of in the driver's seat and they, you know, he would have that classic doing more with less argument. Uh, Tibbs won it two years ago. I think he's just kind of out. Uh, Good you, point. You typically don't win it twice in three years. I don't, I don't know if anybody's ever done that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, what a narrative turn for him. Like mid season, it felt like there was a week where if the Knicks lost like two more games, he was going to be gone. Yep. And yeah, I mean, I, I think if you throw out the fact that he won it two years ago, he's absolutely in the mix. I agree. Yeah. So to me, I mean, if it was my ballot, I think Mike Brown and then Mark Dagnall, that would be my one, two. So I, I mean, I guess I actually think Dagnall's the best value at 4,000, but that may be really dependent on them. Like, I think if they somehow reach, like if OKC avoids the play in tournament, like if they somehow get to six and Sacramento falls a little bit to like four, then I think that's when the conversation actually heats mm. up. And we have to ask ourselves like, only like four losses separate these teams. Like what? Like shouldn't it be Dagnald in that case? The LA Lakers right now plus one twenty to make the playoffs. So that means either finishing above the the seven seed and avoiding the play in, or emerging from the play in and getting one of those spots. I, value wise, I, I don't know if there's a, a ton here. Um, you know, especially not knowing what the matchups are. I think that's what makes it so tough. Uh, but I, I, if you could promise me that LeBron James comes back healthy with like two games left in the regular season and they're just in the play in, like, I, I, I don't know. I, I think they would beat the Timberwolves. I think they would beat the Pelicans. I think they beat the Thunder, the Trailblazers. Uh, it would be a lot more interesting, you know, if they, if they would have to face like Dallas or Golden State or the Clippers in the play in. And in all likelihood, at least one of those teams would be involved. But I, I think there is a little bit of value here at plus money. Like, I, I, I trust the Lakers. Again, assuming LeBron's healthy, that's the the, the giant caveat here. Um, but I, I would trust this version of the Lakers over those other teams I mentioned. Yeah, they haven't uh, they haven't really been that much worse without LeBron this year. Um, no, they're twenty four and twenty three with LeBron, and they're two games under five hundred on the year. I was actually having this discussion in the office today with Shannon, a rare appearance in the office for me about yeah, if the if the Lakers make it in and they can somehow play. Uh, Sacramento or if they can play Sacramento in the first round and LeBron is healthy, like you're saying, I would pick LA against Sacramento, yes. assuming health for LA. That's the dream scenario, right? For the Lakers yeah. is it's like this, this upstart Kings team that nobody really believes in. Uh, it's like, who knows? Maybe, maybe you get the, the two seed Memphis Grizzlies with John Morant still away from the team. Like there, there are avenues here for this to at least somewhat work out for the Lakers um, you know, I mean, the LeBron injury in some ways kind of lets them off the hook, I guess. Like if they, if they don't make the play in or they lose in the play in and LeBron doesn't play, it's like, obviously it goes down as a, a an unsuccessful season for the Lakers, but I, I think they like by LeBron getting hurt, they've avoided like a true disaster scenario. If that makes sense. I think so. How, uh, are you starting to become concerned about LeBron's durability at all? Uh, yes, I am. I was, I, I didn't <laughs> want to talk about this. You know, it's, it's a sensitive subject for me, but yeah, I mean, it's how many, how many years in a row now has it been 
like a foot five. or an ankle, right? I mean, it's he's been injured every season essentially since he's been in LA. I mean, the yeah. the bubble year, it's kind of the only year that he was healthy. He had the the groin injury, I think, his first year in LA when he slipped on a wet spot. Also crazy that he's been with the Lakers for five years. It feels like this is somehow like year three, not year five. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, I guess the defense of LeBron is you could say that they're all they're all somewhat like freak incidents. You know, he had the one where was it like Solomon Hill rolled into him? Yeah. Uh, you know, even this latest one, it's like it, it's not like he he doesn't seem like he's falling apart necessarily. But you know, I, I think the the opposite case would be well, all, these things have been happening to LeBron his entire career, and they haven't resulted in injuries. And now because he's 38, they are. I remember when that happened to LeBron and I can't remember which reporter it was. So I don't want to like slander anybody, but someone was like so mad at Solomon Hill that it like was making me uncomfortable. They're like, Solomon Hill should be ashamed. He should be out of the league. I was like, Mike, relax, man. Um, but yeah, like I, that's the point I was going to, which is just like every season before this, of course, like he's LeBron slipped on wet spots and he gets his arm caught in somewhere or whatever. And, you know, now it's starting to catch up. Um, I to answer my own question, I am I am also getting a little bit concerned, even though they again they sort of free like freak stuff, but this foot thing's a little concerning, like a foot tendon injury. I don't love the sound of that. Yeah, it, it's certainly something I think that's going to impact him going forward. I, I think we just he's in that zone now, and he probably should have been a long time ago. I mean, he's he's kind of skirted the the age thing for a long time, but I, I think we just kind of have to pencil him in for 15 to 20 missed games going forward. I mean, that's what should be happening when you're 38, 39 anyway. Uh, but I, I will say, I'm glad that he's avoided like the true devastating, like he's not coming back from this injury, you know, like a, a torn ACL or like when Kobe tore his Achilles, yeah. you just kind of knew it's like, you know, there was this sense that, well, it's Kobe, he'll work hard, he'll come back. But he was never the same guy after that. And the nice thing about LeBron is even though he's missing time and especially at key periods these last couple of years, when he comes back, he still looks like LeBron. Like he, he's not, he's not really like visually hampered at all. No, I agree. Obviously the athleticism is, is not what it used to be. And you know, he's getting his shot blocked at the rim and, but come on. Um, no, it doesn't, it doesn't look bad. Like you're saying there are those, he still looks a lot like LeBron James. Yeah. Father of three, by the way. So watch your mouth. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's talk about the East real quickly. Uh, not a lot to say about uh, the bucks and the Celtics and, and even the Sixers. I think those teams, kind of are who they are at this point. And, you know, with Milwaukee and Boston, it, you just kind of feel like you're waiting for that collision course. Philly, of course, will, will have to prove that it can knock one of those teams off. But uh, where are we at on these these middle teams right now? I mean, from Cleveland to New York to Brooklyn, uh, and then, you know, there's kind of another tier with Miami, Atlanta, Toronto. I guess you could throw Washington in there. Um, but I'm particularly interested in, in that uh, Cleveland, New York, Brooklyn grouping uh, you know, New York's been red hot. They took a really weird loss uh, of all the games to lose in the last 10, uh, losing to the Charlotte Hornets is not one that I saw coming. Uh, but, but obviously they've completely flipped the narrative on their season. And, you know, right now, like a Cavaliers Knicks first round series to me would be a ton of fun. I, I think that would go six or seven games. I love that. Like there's so much, there's so much to love about this series. The It's the kind of like the Donovan Mitchell bowl. Um, you know, the <laughs> Knicks relying on their guys, over uh over you know the superstar and rj barrett um i think the gargan would be crazy for those games uh that would that would definitely be a lot of fun and the, i mean the nets you're talking about the other team in new york they three three wins in a row for brooklyn now after it looked like they were just kind of lost and unable mm -hmm. to like generate offense outside of mikhail bridges just taking a bunch of mid-range pull-ups um i mean i i don't think brooklyn has a chance 
at winning a first round, but, um, and I would still pick Cleveland over New York, but I, I agree with you. Cleveland, New York would be awesome. Super, super fun series. Two very different teams. Uh, I would still take the Cavs to win the series, but I, I don't think that's a matchup that they would welcome at this point. And I, I think it's the overwhelmingly most likely matchup, right? I mean, Miami has not really shown that it can string enough wins together. And I, I don't really see right. Brooklyn overtaking the Knicks, uh, you know, barring some sort of injury uh, on the Knicks side. And, you know, the Nets have looked fine. They, they, they beat up on Houston last night. They beat Charlotte before that, had the win over Boston. But, but like the games that they've lost since the trade have been disastrous. Like they got absolutely killed by the Knicks uh, at MSG earlier this month. They had that like really bizarre loss to the Bulls where they were down like 70 to 25 at one point. So I, I think they're still working things out. That's a team that's, you know, a lot of fun and, and definitely scrappy. But I, I think if you're, if you're like Philly or Boston, like you're kind of licking your chops, looking at that team as a, a potential first round opponent. <laughs> yeah. I don't think anybody is, is scared of them. <laughs> No, it's it's been fun to see McCall Bridges in that role though. Like I, I, I did not really think that he had that in him. You know, I, I think I wrote the note on the site when when he was traded, and yeah, I remember thinking like, well, yeah, he'll, he'll probably have an increased usage rate, but he's never really proven that he's like that kind of guy. Like he, I, I'm not saying he could be you know like Devin Booker attacking off the dribble, but I mean he he looks really good. Like I, I kind of have to readjust my my like long term projection for him. It's interesting because his usage rate is like seven points higher, but his shot profile is almost exactly the same as it was in Phoenix. Like he's just taking more. Like he was actually taking a good amount of mid-rangers in Phoenix, but it's just the volume was so much lower. Um, I still think something important to keep note for Bridges is that um, his shooting is really unsustainable right now. He's like, you know, 50% from the field, 45% from three. I just don't think that's really him. Like when the usage rate is this high, but um, if he can consistently be a, an efficient 20 to 25 point per game score, which he basically already was in, in Phoenix after a slow start and with his defense, like, yeah, he's a, he's a really good player. I just, I'm not sure what his ceiling is. You know, like we talked about, yeah, they won three in a row, but the, the teams were kind of soft. It's like, if you're talking about a, a title team or a really like frisky, like where is Bridges on that hierarchy? Because he was the, he was the what? third slash fourth option on a tight uh a team that went to the nba finals in the suns um yes so i think the question has to be can he elevate to the point where he's the number two option on that kind mm -hmm. of a team and i think it's possible but i wouldn't i wouldn't like bank on it i'm gonna throw out the caveat that i always throw out in this scenario and it's it depends on who the number one is like if sure. <laughs> if you're if you're like swapping him out for like Chris Middleton on the bucks and he could be the kind of number two guy and Giannis is the number one, then yeah, I think that could work. Right. It, but if you're asking him to be the number two on, I don't know, the Timberwolves and you know, Carl Anthony towns is your number one, then no, I don't think you're winning the title. Right. It feels like he needs to be more of like a two B or something like that kind of feels yes. like his ceiling now. Yeah. He, he either has to be the number two with like one of the five best players in the league or far more likely uh, a scenario where he's like a, a perfect number three guy. I, I think he's, he's already shown that he has more of an offensive ceiling than a lot of people, myself included, thought he did in Phoenix. I mean, last eight games, 29 points per game, 55% shooting, 48% from three. Like you said, percentages, not sustainable, um, but you know, he's super smart player, super efficient, um, you know, not, not going to shoot 55%, but I, I don't, I also don't think next year he's going to be like a 43% guy. I agree. All right, we'll end it here. Uh, we got Dan Titus from Yahoo jumping on the pod tomorrow. Really looking forward to that. I, I don't think he's been on the pod yet. He's been on 
the Rotowire radio show a few times, always does a really good job. Uh, so looking forward to talking with Dan. Uh, then you'll be back on Friday with Ken and Shannon. Um, we want to thank our presenting sponsor, the new sponsor of the show, Smart Bracket. Make sure you go check that out, smartbracket.io. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday.